Palm Sunday is one of the days of the year that I feel kind of the strangest about. Um, and I think we all should. Because if you think about it, there's a lot of odd things that are going on. There's a lot of odd things in terms of what we do. We wave palm branches and we sing and the children go and it's kind of this great thing and people look forward to it. And yet, it also means when you stop and think about it that we're celebrating this day like the crowd celebrated it. We're waving our palm branches, we're singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in five days, the crowd's going to reappear. The crowd's going to reappear, and yet this time what they're doing is looking at a man who is beaten and whipped and mocked, and the crowd is yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Palm Sunday is an odd day, and we need to be fully aware of that. The scripture we're going to look at today is from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. This is what it says. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. The Pharisees then said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. There's a collision course that we're on in Holy Week, and it's a collision course that is evident in this scripture passage from John. And it's a collision course that every single one of us is going to have to encounter again and again and again in our life. And Palm Sunday is one of the times when we have to face it head on. And that is collision is this, that there is often a breakdown between the God who is and the God who we believe he should be. There is a collision course and a breakdown between what we know God should do and how we know God should act and the God who sometimes is. And one of the hardest questions any of us will ever wrestle with is, how do you respond to that? How do you respond when you know what God should do and God doesn't do it? Now, to put this into perspective, what I'd like for you to do today is kind of have an exercise. I'd like you to stop right now, and in your minds, I'd like you to think about what's like the purest prayer you could offer. If there was one thing you could lift up to God, one thing that you're looking at going, this is so obvious that you would do this, right? It's not like winning the lottery or let this girl go out with me. I'm talking about like, what's the one thing you would look at saying, this is like hands down, the thing that God, if you're real, should do? What's the, the, the hard, painful thing that if saying, if you're so real, this should be different? What's the thing where the pregnancy test continues to come back negative when it's not that way for your friends? What's the place where you thought you would be with somebody rather than single at this stage of life? What's the place where you look at saying, how can this diagnosis be real? How can my children or my grandchildren be struggling with this? Where are you in this situation? I want you to imagine that place. And most of the times on shiny, happy Palm Sunday, we don't go to those places. But I want you to go there today. 
I want you to go to those places and say, this would be the prayer. This would be the thing. This is the low-hanging fruit of if you're God, what God should do. And then I want you to imagine as you hold that and see it and have it in your heart, I want you to imagine Jesus walking in here and you looking at him going, oh my gosh, you're, you're here. And so here's the thing. This is the one pure thing. And he goes, actually, I'm not here to do that. I want you to imagine how you would feel to have Jesus say that to you. To have the same kind of place where you realize that the God that you know God should be and the God who is do not align. How do you respond to those places? How do you respond to that heartache? How do you respond to those doubts and that confusion? That is the question that when we peel back the layers on Palm Sunday, we can actually ask, and we should. Now to be clear, when we say that there was a lot going on in this, the symbols in this story show us this collision course of God who is and the God that they want. Palm Sunday has a lot of symbols that we need to unlock to understand this heartache that the people go through. The palm branches that we're waving, those palm branches are signs of, uh, of national unity and strength. It's sort of like as America waving a flag, right? It's like this is a sign of, of our nation and our strength and who we are. And then the saying that they're shouting in this, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting a psalm there. But not just any old psalm, they're quoting a psalm that would have been sung when a triumphant military leader returned to Jerusalem. So the people are not just going, hey, we're glad you're here, Jesus. They are celebrating very real things that they think God should be doing. And Jesus answers some of those. He comes in the gate that a military leader should come in. He allows them to sing. He allows them to wave their palm branches, lay them down. He doesn't tell them to stop. But there's another layer of symbolism in Palm Sunday that should have caused the crowd to pause. And it's this. If Jesus had followed through on all their symbols, when he came into Jerusalem, he would have been riding on a horse, a majestic animal of war that showed his power and his might, and yet he comes in not riding on a horse, but riding on a donkey. A donkey is a sign of peace and humility and meekness. And we start to see that in what's happening here, the God that the people are crying out for and the God who is are not in complete alignment. To make it even more real, I want you to understand that when we say that the people had a prayer that they were offering, a prayer that, that Jesus would come in, uh, their signs of military uh, uh, victory and national unity were to overthrow the Romans. And that's not like in the system you and I live in today. They weren't hoping a different political party got voted in. They weren't saying they were upset with their leadership and were ready for change. What they were saying is that they were living under an oppressive, brutal military dictatorship. They lived in a world of extreme poverty. They lived in a world of extreme injustice. They lived in a world of violence and terror and murder that was all around them. Historians tell us that just less than 30 years after the, the events we're reading about here, that there was an uprising in Jerusalem against the Romans and that the Romans, to crack down on it, crucified on a cross as many as 500 people a day for a couple of months. This is a brutal, oppressive world they are living in. 
where death and torture are all around on public display. Some of you may have seen that there's this thing on CNN about finding the, the, what are the true, what's the true cross of Jesus, and people tried to dig down even as much as 1,700 years ago to, to find what might be the remnants of the one true cross. It's an impossible task. It wasn't like Jesus was the guy executed. He was one of three in that location on that day. There were tens of thousands of people crucified, left to die and hang on trees for days until they died. It was a horrible world to live in. And if you and I lived today at that time and we had gone through the exercise that we just did of what would be the one thing, the obvious thing that God should do, we would have been like the people. You gotta get us out of living under this system of torture and enslavement. That's what he's there to do, right? It's understandable. But what happens when Jesus doesn't do what they know he should do, the obvious thing, is that they turn on him. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter three that our God is a God who will do abundantly even more than anything we can ask or imagine. We've talked about this before. Our God will do abundantly far more than anything we can ask or imagine. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And yet part of what it means is that there are gonna be certain things that we imagine that aren't gonna happen. And it means that there's certain things that we're gonna ask for that aren't gonna be granted. And the question is whether we wait in faith to see what that is or whether we, like the crowd, just turn when God doesn't give us what we know is right and push it away. Palm Sunday is a time to peel back the layers and move into those places of hurt and pain and desperation and to ask ourselves, so how do we respond to that? And we can be like the crowd who miss the great thing that Jesus is doing because they're so intent on what God should be doing. Or we can posture ourselves in a different way today. And while the reaction of the crowd is understandable, I want to encourage us to posture ourselves differently in our places of pain. And what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to take those things that we thought about that would be the obvious prayer, the painful place, the unanswered thing, and I want us to hold it out before God, and I want us to do so with a prayer, which is, so what will you do next? What are you going to do with this? What are you going to do now? Hold it out in anger, hold it out in frustration, hold it out in sadness, hold it out in tears, but hold it out there and ask the question, so what are you going to do now? That was something that was taught to me many years ago by a college freshman at Georgia Tech, a young woman named Melanie Murray. Melanie was actually the second of two sisters who were involved in our college program uh, at a church that I worked at, and uh, her older sister was named Melissa. They were one year apart in school grades, and so Melissa had shown up as a freshman at Georgia Tech while Melanie was a senior, lived outside of Mobile, Alabama. And Melissa showed up, the older sister, on the first day when we were meeting freshmen. And while, and I know Whitney and Nathan are far too spiritually mature to do this, uh, but, but for immature people like me, we would have moments in the ministry where someone would walk in and you were like, oh my gosh, Lord, please let them stay, right? You would have that moment where you're like, this is just this kid that's a natural leader. It's an incredibly shallow way of being and not faithful at all. But Melissa was one of those people. I, so I confess that to you. Uh, Melissa was one of those people. She was this person that walked in. She was 
smart, she was you know, intelligent, she was humble, she was um, in a sorority or was pledging a sorority. She was a woman of deep faith, deep, deep faith. And her freshman year, she was just involved in all kinds of way in our college ministry, and she was just amazing. And at the end of her freshman year, what we did at the every, end of every school year was we had the students vote for who they wanted to be on the leadership team the following school year. And Melissa Murray was the first freshman voted by the students to serve on the leadership team as a rising sophomore. We had only had juniors and seniors serve before that. She was just recognized by all of us as having these incredible gifts. And at the end of her freshman year, as she was getting ready to leave and had been elected to our leadership team, she said, hey, one thing I'd love you to pray about this summer is my younger sister is coming to Georgia Tech next year. She's been accepted. Melanie. Now, I had not Melanie, met Melanie before, but it was this moment of going, oh my gosh, we're about to take the power of Melissa Murray and double it here. Like, this is just an amazing thing. And we were so excited about both this kind of dream team of Melanie and Melissa coming in. And on the first day of fall, when Melissa was an entering sophomore, she showed up in our college ministry. She walked in, gave her a hug. It was so great to see her. Her parents were there, Mr. and Mrs. Murray. And then in walked forth Melanie. And it was the first time in my life I remember God teaching me that the second child is not always the same as the first child, which my children have taught me that in spades. Uh, not, not better, not worse, but different. Very, very different. And Mel Melanie walked in, and the first thing I remember was just the piercings all over and going, did that hurt? That had to have hurt to have that Pierce, and she kind of came in, and I had greeted her parents and greeted Melissa, and so I said, Melanie, I'm Thomas, it's nice to meet you, and she said to me, it's nice to meet you too. The words were there, it's nice to meet you too. The spirit was lacking in that. It's like when my kids, when they fight, and I get one of them to say, it's like, you need to say you're sorry to your sister, and they're like, sorry. And you're like, the word was there. The word was there. The meaning seemed to be lacking. That seemed to be less than a genuine apology when everything in your being says, I'm doing this because mom and dad are making me. That's what I mean. Melanie walked in and said, it's nice to meet you. And you're like, really? Are you sure? Because it doesn't seem like you're excited to meet me right now. They sat down. I taught this lesson I had prepared. She either rolled her eyes or slept through the entire lesson. And at the end, we were getting up to go to worship, and Melissa gave me a hug, and her mom and dad gave me a hug, and Melanie walked out, and I shook her hand. I said, Melanie, it was so nice to meet you. I hope we'll see you again. And she said, you won't. I said, okay. Well, I appreciate the honesty. And she goes, I will only be here when my parents are in town and make me come. And I said, all right. You're being authentic. We love authenticity here. Thank you so much for that. And she left, and she was true to her word. We did not see her again at all until two months later, her parents were in town for homecoming. And the, Mel the Murrays all showed up, all four of them, and Melanie came in. If it was possible to seem less interested than she had the first time, Melanie achieved that in spades uh, and snored, actually, during part of my uh, lesson I was teaching. I mean, this just, it, it was not connecting at all. We went through the rest of the semester. Melissa was an incredible leader, as we knew she'd be. And at the end of uh, the first semester, she said, well, we're going to, my family's all going snow skiing um, over New Year's, and we'll, we'll see you, you know, in a few weeks when school starts back. On New Year's Day, Beth and I were driving and received a phone call from their mother, Mrs. Murray, who said, Thomas, we need you to pray because there's been an accident. 
She said, Melanie and Melissa were skiing, and Melissa is the big sister, was going first, and somehow they got confused about the course they were on as they were skiing downhill, and Melissa skied off where she wasn't supposed to go and went over an embankment and lost consciousness and never regained it. And Melanie was able to stop just before going over the embankment, skied and got help for her big sister who was airlifted to a hospital but Melissa had not regained consciousness at any point and was in the ICU. And said, we just need you to pray. We need everybody to pray for Melissa's recovery. And so we did. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed for this 19-year-old college sophomore's recovery, a complete recovery. We were bold in our prayers to God. And for a while, it seemed like those prayers were being answered. Melissa, while she didn't regain consciousness, started responding in certain ways. And so when the day came... For Melanie, the freshman, to decide whether she was going to go back for classes to start her semester, she made the decision along with her parents that she should come back to Atlanta to start the next semester of classes. And it was on the first day of class that Mrs. Murray called me a second time to say, Thomas, in the last hour, Melissa has taken a dramatic turn for the worse, and the doctors do not expect her to live through the next hour. And I, as a mother cannot call my second daughter, Melanie, from 2,000 miles away and tell her over a cell phone that her older sister has died. And so I need you to try to find her and be with her when she hears that news. Now, I didn't know Melanie very well. I didn't know where she hung out, but we tried to get word out around campus because her cell phone was turned off uh, that we needed to, to see her. And finally, someone that we knew had gotten in touch with her and said, uh, she doesn't know anything, but she's coming to your office at the church building to meet you and to be there. And it was while Melanie was in, transition of, uh, in transit of getting to my office that Ms. M Mrs. Murray called again to let me know that Melissa had died. And as Melanie walked into the office and sat down not knowing anything, I had what is still to this day the hardest moment I've ever had in ministry and one of the hardest moments in my entire life of looking at Melanie and letting her know that her sister had died. And she reacted exactly the way that she should have and that probably you and I would have reacted in that moment. She curled up in a ball on the floor and was trembling and crying and wailing and looked at me through tears and pointed at me and said, I want to know why. I want to know why this happened. I want to know how your God could let this happen. I want to know how you can stand up and talk about a God of love and justice and redemption and peace and all of the stuff that you espouse on a Sunday morning. I want to know how you can do that and your God allowed this to happen to my sister who if anyone didn't deserve it, it's her. You tell me how in the world you can turn to that God now. And I had to look at her and say the same three words that I have had to say to many different people when they are in those situations of asking why. And those three words are, I don't know. But what I do believe as in the midst of this place, God is still with you, God is still with your family, and God is with your sister who is dancing before Jesus in heaven, but I don't know how God could allow this to happen. The next time I saw Melanie 
as she didn't return my phone calls afterwards, was at the memorial service for Melissa, where her parents had asked everyone to dress in bright colors for the service. They wanted everybody to celebrate her life and to celebrate the life she had in heaven now. And so we came dressed in bright colors, and while Melanie was there and dressed in bright colors, her spirit was completely broken still. Her mom asked me at the end, will you please follow up with her when we get back to campus? And I tried and I tried and finally we were able to meet. And we met three or four times and each time it was in anger and in pain and in sadness that she looked at me and said, until you can tell me why, until you can tell me why God allowed this to happen, this makes no sense, you and I don't have anything to talk about. And then one day, months later, we sat down again. And as we sat, Melanie looked at me and said very quietly, I want you to know that my prayer has changed. I said, okay. She said, my primary prayer is no longer why. But my prayer now is to look at God and say, so what's next? So what are you going to do with this? So what are you going to do with this brokenness? So what are you going to do with this pain? So what are you going to do with this heartache? Hold it before the Lord and say, so what's next? So what are you going to do with this now? And that's the move. That's the change. That's the transition that an 18-year-old college freshman taught me to make, that the crowd was not able to make, is when God doesn't answer the prayer that makes so much sense, that's so right, that's so faithful, that's so pure, the crowd turns on him in an instant and says, well, then you are not the God that we thought. And Melanie, in her own way, was able to make a transition to the God who says, I'm not the God that is a kind of a cosmic Santa Claus that gives you everything you want. But I am the God who is always at work, always redeeming. I am the God who can do abundantly far more than you can ever ask or imagine. That is Palm Sunday. God isn't the God that the people want, but he is doing so much more than anything they can conceive of when they shout praises to him on Palm Sunday. And that is true for us as well. That's the posture of faith I want you to have this week. I want you to go into your pain and into your questions and into your heartache and into your doubt and into your unanswered prayers. I want you to go to into those places that shiny, happy Christianity can't touch. And I want you to hold it out today and hold it out this week before God in the posture of Melanie Murray and say, so what are you gonna do now? What are you gonna do next? What are you gonna do with this? And the thing I will promise you is that the God who can do abundantly far more than anything we can ask or imagine will be the one who responds. Let's pray. Lord, we are a people of heartache and pain. We are a people of loss and doubt. We are a people who cry out to you and wonder sometimes if you're there or if you're listening I pray that this day, this week, we would hold in faith our brokenness before you and that we would see you work, that we would see you move, that we would see you respond, that we, we would believe that even in the places we can't see you, that you are at work doing more than we could ever ask or imagine. 
We hold these pain before you in anger and in doubt and in frustration, but we hold them in expectation as well. Speak to us that we might hear. This week and always, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.